Well, howdy! This podcast is a proud member of the Podcon Go Network. Podcon Go. Family-friendly shows that are fun for everyone. Welcome to Elderberry Tales. Pick up your axe and put it away. It's time for a story. Today's story is Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, a tale of King Arthur's court. Part One. This is the famous tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Originally in poem format, our tale of Sir Gawain, the Green Knight, and his axe is told in story form. This version was adapted by Elaine Lindy for the website Stories to Grow By. You can find this story and so many more at storiestogrowby.org. At Camelot, in King Arthur's court, it was New Year's Day, and all the brave knights and valiant lords of the round table were sitting around with the king, jesting and making merry as brothers, in a celebration that had already lasted fifteen days. Lovely Guinevere took her place on the dais, a splendid throne adorned with silks and covered with a canopy of embroidered tapestries. With a crackling of trumpets, the first course began. Delicious dishes were rushed in, fine delicacies fresh and plentiful, piled so high there was barely a spot on the tablecloth to set them down without tipping a wine glass or cup of beer. Just as the first platters were laid out, a gigantic horseman suddenly sprang through the doors. The stranger was strong and thickly made, yet despite his enormous size, was handsomely featured, and his barrel chest narrowed to a waist worthily small. But what caused the knights to gape in astonishment was not the brawn or sheer size of the hulk that rode the horse, but that the color of his hair, beard, and clothes, as well as his very skin and that of his stallion as well, were all the same unearthly shade of green. Yet, never a more regal presence did green present, for the horseman's tunic tightly tucked to his ribs, was draped over by a fur-lined green cloak, fitted and sewn with ermine trim, while the creature's green hair and beard fanned out freely, enfolding his shoulders. It was clipped all around. The mane of the horse was likewise thick, sharing the same hue of green, and was braided with many a golden knot folded in with gold thread, as was the tail of the mount. The stranger held a large and menacing axe in one hand, but wore no breastplate, neck guard, or helmet, or other battlement protections, and in his other hand held a sprig of holly. Where is the governor of this group? boomed the stranger. Gladly I would speak with him. To each knight sitting around the table he cast his eye, and studied him up and down to see who was the knight of greatest renown. In stunned silence, each guest stared at the creature, some silenced by sheer surprise, others edging closer, thinking him a phantom 
or perhaps a kind of fairy or wizard, while others held their tongues in polite deference to the king. Arthur stood, beholding this adventure as it stepped into the room, for he was never afraid, and said, Wanderer, you are welcome here. Sit with us, tell us your story, and share with us what it is that you'd like. Nay, by all that is sacred, said he, I am not here for idle chatter. I have come in search of the bravest knight of the land. For this round table, I heard, is where one can find the most valiant of the land. By this branch in my hand, you must know that I come in peace. At home, I have armor and helmets and shields and spears and other weapons that, I dare say, I wield with considerable skill. But if the knights here are as brave as other men tell, you will grant me the game that I ask by right. King Arthur replied, Courteous knight, if you crave battle with bare hands and no weapons of any kind, you will not fail to find a fight here. Nay, in faith I have not come to fight bare-fisted with any of the beardless young men on this bench. Not a one of them is a match for me, said the green knight, with a chuckle and a shake of his head. No, I have come for another kind of game. If any in this house holds himself hardy enough to strike one stroke for another, I shall give him this axe as a gift, to handle as he likes, and I shall sit to bear the first blow. Know only that if I survive the first blow, I may return a stroke in kind, one year and a day from now. If the men were stunned before, now they were utterly speechless. The green knight arched his bushy green eyebrows and waved his beard as he waited for one brave soul to step forward. What? Is this King Arthur's house hailed throughout the world? Where are your conquests and your boastful words? Is all the renown of the round table silenced by one speech when no fight is even involved? With this, he laughed so loudly that King Arthur grimaced and the blood shot for shame into his face. He turned to the green knight and said, Now see here, there is none at this table that is aghast at your simple words. If it's folly you seek, then by heaven it's folly you shall have. Hand me that axe, and I'll be the one to strike the first blow. The knight dismounted and gave the king his axe, and Arthur swung the weapon to familiarize himself with its weight and how it swung. The knight, a full head taller than any in the hall, stroked his beard, seeming not at all concerned. Gawain, who sat by the queen, rushed toward his uncle, King Arthur. I beseech you, sire, said he, let this match be mine, for I think it is not seemly for you, our king, to take this mockery to yourself. On these benches sit the finest knights of the land, while I hold a seat here more because you are my uncle and that we share the same bloodline than because I have proved myself in battle. I dare say none among us is more weak and feeble-minded than I, 
and none would prove less of a loss to the court should blood be spilled. So, methinks it is proper that I am the one to put my life on the line for this nonsense, rather than you, my liege. The knights huddled together and all agreed the same. It was best to move the challenge from the crown and give Gawain the game. So, Arthur bid Gawain to come forward. The king handed his nephew the axe and said, Be certain to cut him once, and if you do this truly and well, you need not concern yourself with whatever cut may have been planned for afterward. Gawain approached the green knight, and the two of them repeated the terms of the deal so it was clear to all. The green knight added one condition, that when the year and a day approaches, Gawain must seek him himself. That's fine, but where should I go? asked Gawain. Where is your place? If I survive your blow, I will tell you, said the green knight. And if I do not, it does not matter where I live. And so, the green knight knelt, tipping his head and holding aside with one hand the riot of green hair to expose his neck for the blow. With one fell stroke, Gawain's axe clove through the stranger's skin, through his very bone, and implanted on the wood floor. The head fell to the floor, to be sure, and the knights fended it off with their feet as it rolled. Yet the body of the green knight remained firm, as sturdy as if the head were still on it. Though the green head spurted blood, it mattered not to the body that strode over to claim it, and holding the mess by the hair with one hand, the body grabbed hold of the horse's reins. Stepping in the stirrup, the body strode aloft, and the head, still dangling, turned to Gawain, raised one eyebrow, and its mouth said, Gawain, in one year and one day, find me at the Green Chapel. I am known as the Knight of the Green Chapel. If you seek me faithfully, you will not fail. Therefore come to realize the second half of our bargain, or be called a faithless coward. And the horsemen galloped out of the hall, head in hand, so quickly that sparks flew behind the horse's hooves. Arthur's heart was filled with wonder, yet he let no semblance of that be seen. To his lady Guinevere, he comforted her. To Gawain, he said, Now, sir, Hang up thy axe, it has hewn enough. And to his men he commenced with the feast. Double portions were served, and the merriment resumed. Well, this is just part one of the story. The story is not over, although this is as much of it as I can tell today. So... Here it ends on New Year's Day, and one year and one day later, Gawain is going to have to go to the Green Chapel and let the knight hit him with the axe? I don't know if this was a good deal for Gawain to have made. What would you have done if you had been there sitting around the round table when the Green Knight had come? Would you have volunteered? Would you have agreed that Gawain should have taken Arthur's place? 
What would you have done that day? And what do you think Sir Gawain should do now? After a year, should he go to the Green Chapel? What do you think will happen if he does? And what if he didn't go? What if he just hid from the Green Knight? What do you think would happen then? Well, you are going to have to come back and listen to part two to find out what happens. I should have that ready for you in about a week. This is a very old story. Like I said at the beginning, it was originally a poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and it was written in the late 14th century. That is more than 600 years ago. Unfortunately, we don't know who wrote it. This is a retelling of that poem, an adaptation by Elaine L. Lindy, written for the website Stories to Grow By, and used here on Elderberry Tales with permission. You can find this story and so many more at storiestogrowby.org. Thanks to them. And thanks to you for listening to Elderberry Tales. I'll be back next week.